What do the following items all have in common? Turmeric, fish oil, Advil, collagen, the great elbow help when you're playing sports, the uh, compression sock when you're on a long trip, the knee brace, the hair thickening product, the hair changing color product in your home. You know some of you have it. The readers, I've got a six-pack there. I'm at 1.0 right now. The readers, my personal favorite, the percussion massager. What do all those things have in common? Well, first, they're in my home. I'm not going to tell you who uses them and who doesn't use them. They're in my home. And secondly, they have to do with really the quality of life, I would say, in a positive way. But if I just put it really plainly, what I would say is, this is these are helps in the aging process. None of us like talking about death, and we surely don't like talking about aging. We try to prolong the aging process. We try to avoid it. We don't like talking about it. And yet, we live in a culture. We live in a culture that is, that prizes youthfulness, that idolizes youthfulness. We see it in Plastic surgery, 95, if you didn't know, 95% of plastic surgeries are not for reasons of reconstruction, but aesthetic reasons. Dolly Parton said it this way, in just an honest assessment of her own life and all the monies that she has spent toward looking younger, she said it this way, it costs me a small fortune to look this cheap. She said it. We see this prize of youthfulness in our movies, don't we? And it makes, ladies, it's got to make you mad. You see the 55-year-old Daniel Craig, right, who's the lead male actor in a movie, always next to the female who's 25 years younger. The lady could literally be his daughter. We prize youthfulness, and the irony is, is the young people around us goes, why are you trying so hard? Until you get there, and then, then you figure it out. See, we view the young in this positive way, in this way that we exalt youthfulness in our culture. We strive to turn back the clock of time. We want to be forever young. And yet, when you look at the scriptures, what you see is the strength of youthfulness, which is exalted and the opportunity, but you also see the prize of the sage wisdom of older men and women who have walked with God for a really long time. We see in the scriptures that age and wisdom is a prized commodity. Not so in the world we live in. We're going to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes today and look at Solomon, the old wise sage, looking back on life. And he's going to have some things, young people, to say to you. And he's going to have some things to say to, to, to the older in the room. And I'm not going to put an age on that. I'm going to let you figure that out. But we're going to look at what it looks like to age wisely. We're going to take an honest look. That's the beauty of the book of Ecclesiastes, isn't it? We've been in it all fall. And the beauty of it is, is Solomon is just so honest. There's no pretenses in this book. And we're going to take an honest look at aging wisely. And for the young, I know, I know, you're bulletproof. I was there. And for the old, you go, I know I'm limited. I know I'm not bulletproof. But maybe I'm just a little bit sour about life. Let me ask you these questions. Does your mortality stir you to live well? Or 
does it rake against your soul? I've got to be younger. I've got to be stronger. And here's a deeper, maybe I'm getting a little bit too much into your house right here, but let me just ask it this way. Where do you find your worth? Do you find your worth in your appearance, in your age, the way that you look? Or maybe, younger folks, do you find your worth and your significance in your strength, in your vitality, in your youthfulness? Solomon's got a word for us this morning. Ecclesiastes 11, page 559. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a Bible close to you, page 559. And just a, refresh, a refreshingly honest look at aging immortality and how we ought to live wisely in view of these truths and these realities of life. As we look at this text, you're going to see two things to rejoice in. You're going to see something to remove, and then you're going to see one really key ingredient to remember. So as I read, think about that. Chapter 11, I'm just going to read verses 7 through 10, and then we'll pick up in chapter 12 here in a little bit. So chapter 11, Ecclesiastes 11, this is God's word. Let me read it. Life, light, Sorry, I can't see my Bible. Little small font. Need my readers. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It's not a commentary on daylight savings time. I wish it was. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice. There's the first one. In them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, and all that comes is vanity. He goes back to that. Second thing to rejoice in. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove, remove vexation, anxiety from your heart and put away pain or sin from your body, your youth and the dawn of life or vanity. Here's your first thought this morning as we think about aging. Enjoy the gracious gift God Excuse me, enjoy the gracious gift of life as, as God has intended while it lasts. That is true for the young. That is true for the old. God has given us the gracious gift of life, but we're meant to pursue life as God has intended. There's really a couple things to rejoice in. He calls the older, the one who have length of days. Do you see it there? The one who have length of days, you've been breathing for a long time, and that's a gift from God that you've been breathing for a long time. He calls us not to sour, but to see light and life as sweet. You see it there in verse 7? Light at, is sweet. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. He said this a couple of times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's like it's better to be breathing than not be breathing. It's better to go through your day. Even if you're older and you have length of days, keep breathing. Keep enjoying the life that God has given you, even in your older age. Psalm 91 says it this way about the, the one who dwells with the Most High. And there's all these blessings from dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. And the psalmist says about God, he says, God gives long life, and that long life will satisfy so let me ask you, if you're older in here this morning, has the brokenness of life under the sun, maybe health, maybe hardship, maybe conflict, maybe you look at a world and go, I don't recognize it anymore. I don't even know how to use my phone. Technology, 
is, is getting way past me. Is it still sweet? Or is it soured for you? Because all the brokenness in life, Solomon, as the wise old man here, is saying, it's sweet. Remember that God gives satisfaction in life. Be thankful for the length of days, the length of breath that God has given you. I think of the old movie, us older timers, I think of the old movie, Grumpier, Grumpy Old Mill, Grumpier Old Men, and they're just two curmudgeons that have hated each other their whole lives. And the whole movie, it's kind of funny, but it's also painful because they just hate each other. They hate life, and they're going through it in that way, creating havoc wherever they go. I don't want to be an old curmudgeon. Do you want to be an old curmudgeon? Life is sweet. He's calling the older to enjoy life. Do you see life as a gift? Is it sweet or is it soured? Are you enjoying it? Even in retirement, what does retirement look like for you? Are you enjoying life? Your grandkids, you get to pass them back too, right? you enjoying the life that God has given you. And then he turns in verse 9 to the younger. He says also to the younger man, rejoice in your youth. This is vitality. This is strength. The younger have strength that we don't have as older and then he says, here's how to enjoy life. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. So enjoy your youth. You're meant to enjoy your youth. But do you see the caveat? But know that for all these things, God will bring into judgment. Here's what I don't think he's saying. I don't think he's saying, as we often do when you were young, hey, I'll get to God later, but I'm going to really enjoy life now and have fun now, and then I'll get to God later, and then I'll just have to deal with a little judgment. What I think he's actually saying, maybe like nowhere else in Scripture, he's putting together, as he does often in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's putting together both the enjoyment of life and the fear of God, and that there's a lane that we need to travel in to really enjoy life as God has intended, right? Enjoy the gift of life as God has intended. And so he says, rejoice in all of that, but there will be judgment. The word there for judgment is literally the judgment, the future judgment that God brings. And then you come connected to that, to verse 10, rejoice, remove, right? Re remove anxiety from your heart and put away. The word in my Bible is pain. What does it say in yours? It says pain. It's, it's probably a bad translation because the word we get here for pain is not physical pain like we have in our hip when we get older, Okay. It's evil. So here's what he's saying. Put away evil. Live and enjoy life, young person, but stay in the lane. You ever seen those commercials, oftentimes like for beer or wine, where they show these people having a great time, and at the end of the commercial, what does it say? Enjoy responsibly. That's what Solomon is saying. Got one in the house right now, and he's 15, and he is working on his driver's license. He has his permit, and it's been fun. It's been really fun to take him out, and he's going, man, I'm going to have a car. I'm going to have freedom. I'm going to be able to drive. It's part of growing up, and it's really fun to go at different points and let him drive and help him and teach him, but he's excited about it. But also, when we go drive, one of the things that all of us went through, it's also bringing back bad memories of my dad and me driving in the car and going, you know, he wishes he had the brake, right? And so one of the challenges of when you learn, how, learning how to drive is this, is that you're sitting on the left side of the car, but it's really hard for you to know kind of the dimensions of your car. 
And so oftentimes when you're learning how to drive, the car kind of hits the, the bumper pads on the right or the left. And so you're, you're trying to understand the dimensions of the car, if you will. And it's hard when you're learning to stay within the lines. And here's the, the thing about life is this. We need to enjoy life like we enjoy, like a young person enjoys being able to drive, but we have to stay in God's lines. We talked about this last week with wisdom and folly, that God has a path that he wants us to walk down. And in this passage, he's going to talk about how he's the creator, and we need to remember him as the creator. The creator has the best for you. His path is the best for you. We don't think that sometimes. We, like Adam and Eve, go outside of that path, and we say what? I got it. I'm going to enjoy life on my terms. And God is saying here, no, even Solomon's wisdom in coming back. Think about this with Solomon. What he's saying things. There's judgment in all things. You don't think this is a confessional for him? If you know Solomon's life, it's like this passage reads as a confessional of his own life to go, when I was young, I did some really stupid things. You can go read about his life in 1 Kings. I did some really stupid things outside the lines that God has for me, and I paid for it. But you can do both. I don't know if there's anywhere else in Scripture other than Ecclesiastes that puts those tensions together, that you can enjoy life, but you got to paint between the lines. you got to stay between the lines. Young people, I know. I know your thoughts. I'm going to enjoy life now, and later on I'll figure out God. What God is saying here is there's a foundation. You can enjoy life and you can stay within his life. And here's the truth. Here's the secret. That is your best life. That is your most satisfying life. It is your most enjoyable life to stay between those lines, whether you believe it or not. So there's ditches. Let me ask you the question this morning. In what ways in the last week have you just enjoyed life? For some of you workaholics, you work all the time, you do all the time. When's the last time you stopped and you just said, I'm going to enjoy the afternoon? This week, I'll be honest, about Wednesday, I was working on this text, and I was working on the application. I'm like, well, I guess I'm just going to go play nine holes. And I did. (laughs) I'm going to obey the Bible. That's a little too far. What are you doing in your life to just enjoy life? Take your wife out on a date. Enjoy life, young and old. And also, yes, and what are you doing to pursue holiness in your life? We've done some weird things lately with personal holiness and fighting sin and turning away from sin in Christian culture. And I don't know all the reasons, but we've almost neutered it to be kind of this therapeutic thing Rather than pursuing Christ, turning from sin, this is what sanctification, at the heart of sanctification, the heart of pursuing God is often turning from sin and turning to God. And so in what ways are you pursuing as well personal holiness that God desires so that you can truly enjoy life as God intended? So we enjoy the gracious gift, young and old of life that God's intended while it lasts. Look at chapter 12. Verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read it. We'll walk back through it. Think about this connection, though, as I I change gears a little bit, of putting away sin. Look at what it says in chapter 12, verse 1. Remember, 
This is the thing to remember. Remember also your creator, the one who made you, God, who is in heaven. In the days of your youth, so he's directing it to your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And then he's going to give, I want you to know this as we walk into this. This is pretty poetic. He's going to describe the aging process and death with three different symbols. One of them, the first one here, uh, is a storm coming. And then you're going to see the decaying house and how a house decays. It's depicting our bodies. And then he's going to see the, the well drying up. It's pretty sobering, but, but listen to this. He's pointing to the youth and saying, remember your youth. Build the foundation. Why? Before the sun, light, and moon, and stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, he's describing a storm that's coming in aging and in death. And in the day where the keepers of the house tremble, most people think this is symbolism, right? Most people think that's your hands, what you do with your hands, and the strong men are, are bent, that's your legs, where there's now weakness as you age in your legs. Think about all those products we talked about in the beginning. And the grinders, that's your teeth, cease because they are few. Need some dentures. And those who look through the windows are dim. That's your eyes. You can't see as well. You need some readers. And on the doors of the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, it means you can't hear like you used to hear. And as one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, meaning if you're a singer, you can't sing as well as you get older, they are afraid also of what is high, and the terrors are in the way. When you get older, you start fearing things that maybe you didn't fear when you were young, when you were not so risk averse. And he continues, the almond tree blossoms, uh, when an almond tree blossoms, it's pale, it's white. So I think he's talking about the white hair that we have when we get older, whether you died or not. The grasshopper drags itself along. What a picture, isn't it? What does the grasshopper do? Grasshopper leaps and jumps and moves. And if I've been sitting down at my desk for a couple hours and I go to the front and I try to take a jump shot, my legs don't go with me as like they used to. You don't have as much vitality to jump. The grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. I think that's sexual. Desire fails man because man is going to his eternal home. So you see it shift from the decaying house and the storm into death. And look at the picture of the well. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken in the well or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern and dust, this is Genesis 3, y'all, and dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Here's what he's saying, and he's primarily addressing the young. He's saying, lay a foundation because this stuff is coming. The storm is coming. Aging is coming. I know you don't think so. It's coming. And here's the process. He's saying, aging, 
Second thought, in the future sting of death, should stir us to do what? Verse 1 in chapter 12, turn to God. He's saying that to the youth who have vitality, who tend to turn and enjoy things, but he also saying it to us as older. He's saying, in that, we have to turn to God, our creator. Sobering text. To the youngster, the tempter is... We try to do life when we're young in our own strength. And it's the things of life and the hardships of life and the suffering of life and even the sin of life that reminds us that we are limited and that we are weak. And oftentimes, as I look at my own life, I look back and go, it was those things that grew me. It was those things that helped me. Even though I knew to turn to God, I sat in the seats that you're sitting in as a kid I knew that, but it was the things in life, the hardships in life that I went through that said, I can't do it. You've got to do it, Lord. I turn to you. And so he's saying that to young. He's saying that to us older. I want to spend a few minutes because there's more that the Bible has to say to young and to older about how to live well. And I think that's mainly what this text is about. It's how do I know that I'm aging And yet continue to live well. How even can I use that process to live well, to turn to God, to know God, and to help others? See, if you're younger in the room, again, you can define that. You think about what our goal is as believers in Christ. Our aim and our goal in sanctification is to be more and more conformed. To the image of Christ. That's what Romans 8, 29 tells us. That's why he saved us. That's why he's brought us to himself, that we might be more conformed to Christ. You think about Jesus' life. Luke said this in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. As Jesus was a young, like 12 years old, it says this about Jesus and his humanity and his deity, but his humanity. It says, and Jesus grew. He grew in stature. That's physical. But he also grew in wisdom. He also grew in favor with his father and with others. What a great picture of what it looks like. And we know you're not Jesus. We're not Jesus, but what a great picture of what it looks like to grow in wisdom. As you grow up, to grow in wisdom and favor with God and man. What does that mean, grow in favor with man? 1 Timothy chapter 4. This ought to be a life verse for you if you're a teenager or you're in your young 20s. Paul's talking to Timothy And Timothy's probably in his 20s at that point, so this includes you, at least. 1 Timothy 4 says this, Don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young, but set an example to other believers. And he lists four or five things here. In what? Speech. In the way that you talk. In the way what you say matters. You don't want people to not, you want people not to look down on you? Clean up your mouth in your speech, in your life or conduct, in the way that you act, in the way that you love others, not just the way that you barrel over others, but you love others. Okay, speech, life, love, and your faith. Don't buy the lie that you can start start pursuing Christ when you're 20. You can pursue Christ now. As a matter of fact, this text is saying, build the foundation now, young people. Because hardship and hard is coming. And impurity. What does the Bible say? David 
How does a young man or woman keep their way pure? By keeping it according to the Word of God. The Word of God ought to be near. You ought to be building a foundation of knowledge and understanding and wisdom. So do that. And to the older, you know, it's interesting, this text. This text is primarily addressed to the younger, but it's us older folks who understand it, isn't it? We understand, if you're older, you understand some of these things a lot better than the young. But here's the hope, and here's the calling as you get older in your life. Here's the calling for believers. See, God has a call for us in our older age. It's not time to retire. You don't retire from Christianity. You don't retire from kingdom work. Let me take you to a few passages here. Psalm 92, where the psalmist is praising God for his good works. Verse 12, life verse for you. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. Imagine this. And grow like a cedar in Lebanon, strong. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit when? In old age. They still bear fruit in old age. These are old trees that are still bearing fruit in old age. And what are they doing? They're declaring that the Lord is upright, that he is my rock, that there are no unrighteousness in him. Listen, as older people, God still wants us to bear fruit, and there's great fruit to be born as you are older and wiser, especially to the next generation. Look at Psalm 71. Psalm 71 says this, verse 17 and 18, to the older, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds, so even to what? Old age and gray hairs. Oh God, don't forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. So if you're an older saint in the room, you have much to offer. You have much to offer this church. You have much to offer your grandkids. You have much to still offer your children, even though you can't boss them around like you used to. You have much to offer younger folks. And I look at this church, median age, 35-ish, with a couple of kids. And when you're younger and you don't have kids, you're like, I know how to do life. Nobody can teach me anything. Then you start doing life. You get married and you have kids. You're like, I need help. I don't know how to do this. I need to go confess to people because I thought I knew how to do this and I don't know how to do this. I need people a little older than me to help me. You have much to offer, older saint. And younger saint, listen, you need to invest not only in your foundation, but you need to find people a little further down the road. Maybe your mom and dad, but other people, maybe the youth group leader who's a little further down the road than you. And you need to invest in people older and who are wiser, whether you think so or not. They have much to offer you. Don't buy the lie of your culture that says, we're going to discard old people. They can't teach me anything. They're just old-fashioned. I don't roll that way. They have much wisdom to offer you, to learn from and grow from. And older folks, you have much to give. The Bible over and over as we talk about discipleship, especially in the book of Titus, older women discipling younger women, older men discipling younger men. This is the example of Scripture. You have something to offer, older folks, and you have something 
that you need is younger as well. I hope that's helpful to you. So we turn to God's strength. Young people need to turn to God's strength because we have it all together as young people. And older need to turn to God's strength and turn to God because it's often harder when you get older in this hard, broken world that we live in. And here's a greater truth, though, I want to share with you as it relates to remembering our Creator. It's true that old and young, we need to remember our Creator. We need to have Him in view. We need to open our Bibles. We need to do communion. We need to remember Christ. But here's a greater truth. He remembers you. He remembers you. When you're young and you can look back and say, I did all this in my own strength. He was still there. He is still there. And he's waiting. The book of James says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And often we have to learn that the hard way when we're young. But he remembers you. He's with you. And if you are older and this poem depicts some of the things that are happening in your life and the body is breaking down a little bit and you're feeling that, you're feeling your life feels like it's seeping away, that you can't get it back. Not only should you remember him, he remembers you. If you're an empty nester and you look back at pictures and you're like, I wish they were young. I wish they were still in our home. I wish there was yelling at the dinner table like there used to be. I miss it. Maybe you're partially empty nesters. And it hurts. He's with you. He's for you. He's present with you. And we don't have to lose heart. I'm going to give you two texts that are really important to consider about aging and life moving on. It looks like this, 2 Corinthians. These are beautiful truths from God's word to help us remember 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 5-2. Listen to these words. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, that's, that's our life, is preparing for us the eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if this tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. That's the poem. Breaking down, decay. We have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. How do we put on our heavenly dwelling? How do we get to our eternal home one way? John chapter 6 says this. Jesus says this. Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should not lose, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. He's talking about his sheep, his people. But raise them up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Christian, that's your assurance. That's your hope in a heavenly dwelling. That's your sure hope of heaven, an eternal home. 
whether you're young or you're old, you're aging and it's coming. Do you know that truth? Do you know the beautiful gospel truth that God gives assurance through his son and his son only brings you assurance? Assurance of pardon, assurance of heaven. Do you know that truth? There's a story I want to close with, a story of a guy named John Todd. And John was born in 1800s, 1800 in Killingsworth, Vermont. But by the age of six, John's parents had died. And when his last parent died of disease, his aunt wrote him and said, I'll take you, I'll raise you like a mother. And so 35 years later, she raised him. 35 years later, she is on her deathbed. Death has come calling for her, and she writes her nephew, her son, a letter, and she's scared. She's a Christian woman, but she is scared of death. And I want to read you what John says to her. John says this. It is now 35 years since I, a little boy of six, was left quite alone in the world. You sent me word that you would give me a home and be a kind mother to me. I have never forgotten the day when I made the long journey of 10 miles to your house in North Killingsworth. I can still recall my disappointment when instead of coming to me yourself, you sent Caesar, a messenger, to to fetch me. I well remember my tears and my anxiety as perched high on on your horse and clinging tight to Caesar. I rode off from to my new home. Night fell before we finished the journey, and as it grew dark, I became lonely and afraid. Do you think she'll go to bed before I get there? I asked Caesar anxiously. Oh, no, he said reassuringly. She'll stay up for you. When we get out of these woods, you'll hear her candle and see her candle shining in the window. And sure enough, there was the candle. I remember you were waiting at the door, that you put your arms close about me and that you lifted me. A tired and bewildered little boy, down from my horse. You had a big fire burning on the hearth, a hot supper waiting for me on the stove. After supper, you took me to my new room. You heard me say my prayers, and then you sat beside me until I fell asleep. Aunt you probably realize why I'm recalling all this to your memory. Someday soon, God will send for you and take you to a new home. Don't fear the summons, the strange journey, or the messenger of death. God can be trusted to do as much for you as you were kind enough to do for me so many years ago. At the end of the road, you will find love and a welcome waiting, and you will find you will be safe in God's care. I shall watch you and pray for you until you are out of sight, and then wait for the day when I shall make the journey myself and find you waiting at the end of the road to greet me. The message that John had for his aunt was effectively this. Don't worry, you're expected. Listen, 
If you're here this morning, young or old, and you know Jesus, you can live with the sure hope of an eternal home. You're expected. Let me pray.